I want to start this morning by just, just welcoming, Tony did it a little bit already, but just welcoming CC back together. And I want to say this, um, I'm looking out, it's, it's 9.15 service, it's 9.15, the first weekend of spring break. And look, look at the fullness, just look around, take a second. This is incredible. And this is largely due to those of you that were willing to go to CC for 26 months and make more room in this place. I just want to take a second, I wanna honor each one of you that are here again for that, that gift to us, that opportunity, that chance for our body to continue to grow. Let's do that together. And I just, I'll just say this because it moves me deeply to know that the body of Christ is not comprised of the walls where we meet, but that the body of Christ is represented by the people who come together in his name to meet, no matter where they are, whether they are at CC or whether they are here or in just a few short months at a completely new gift from God, new clothes for our body. We are the church, and that is splendid and spectacular. That's another message, so I'll stop, and uh, we'll actually start into what we're here to talk about this morning. I want to begin uh, by welcoming, into, welcoming you into Chronicles. And I know there are many of you in here, maybe even those of you who have known Jesus for a long time, to be like, yeah, I've heard the book exists, but unless it was in the Bible, I would never have read it. There are some of us that are very unfamiliar with Chronicles, and I understand that because honestly, when we, when we look at the Old Testament, there are, there are, there are more and better stories. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch a little bit and say there are better stories in Samuel and in, and in Kings that give us maybe a more full-fleshed picture of some of what we see in Chronicles. Chronicles is an effort to, um, to create a, a historic chronological view for the people of Israel. It's a, it, it's a, it, they're historians that are writing this book, and so it's a bit dry in places. We get to enter it this morning. Chapter Chapter 18, if you've got this book, your, your Bible with you, uh, if, you've got, if you've got your phone, open up to chapter 18 of Chronicles. And I'm excited to dig in because this story is an incredible gem lodged in the text as we continue our series, The Art of Living. Now, we're going to be looking in The Art of Living at a, a fairly broad topic this morning. I need you to put your thinking caps on. Okay, we're looking at the art of reality. Thank you. Someone down here actually reached up and put their figurative thinking cap on. I need you to do that because the art of reality, some of you who know re what, what the study of realism is are already getting a little bit leery. I can see the hoods coming down on your eyes because, because the question comes in your mind, are we going to be talking about realism from a philosophical point of view? Are we going to be analyzing realism from a sociological point of view? Are we considering the ontological meaning of life? What is metaphysics and what is epistemology and all, all these things that some of you are like, I don't want to do that. And some of the rest of you are like, I don't know what those words are. And if that's what we're going to be talking about, I'm looking for an exit right now. Okay. You can relax. You can relax. 
We're going to be talking about realism from the point of view of a story that gives us the richness and the freshness of a perspective on God's definition of realism, okay? Now, I, um, I want to set the table for what we're entering into. Here's what you need to know. Our two main players in the story, King Ahab, the king of Israel, You'll see him referred to as the king of Israel in this chapter. He was the most wicked king of all Israel uh, that Israel ever had. And another king, King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah at this time. Israel had strayed from God quite a distance from God under Ahab's leadership. And so they are split into two different monarchies, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. So we have these two kings. However, they're made of the same DNA. They are the Jews. They are supposed to be the people of God. And so when Ahab wants to go to war, which he does, there's a people group called the Arameans that he has driven for the most part out of the boundaries of Israel. But in our story, there is one fortified city called Ramoth Gilead that is, that is a fortress and it has been difficult for him to root them out. They, they, they are still within the boundaries of Israel. He wants to get rid of them. And so he calls his good friend Jehoshaphat up and he says, Jehoshaphat, will you come down? Will you join me because I need your help in rooting the, the Ramoth Gilead out of, of, of Israel to, to finally kick the Arameans out of our country. Now, again, keep in mind, Ahab has done his level best to drive God out of Israel as well. He has removed Yahweh. He has pushed Jehovah out of the, the people of Israel. And in, in his place, he has raised up the idols, the Baals, everything evil. Ahab's existence has been one progression from a disaster to another disaster as he has chosen against God. Now, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, even in our story, at the right at the beginning of chapter 18, he says he's an honorable king. He's a wealthy king. He's been fairly prosperous in Judah. And that is because somewhere deep in his heart, he has sought to continue to follow the God of Israel, the God of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people, the people that he serves. He recognizes the need for Yahweh. And at the same time, he struggles to follow Yahweh with his whole heart in the story. So you're gonna see a conflicted individual in the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. And then a third key player in the story is Machai. Machai is the prophet of the Lord. Now, as we do that, that that's, that's what we encounter as we begin the story. And, and it's critical that we know the question Ahab has placed to Jehoshaphat. And it's really simple. It's this question. Will you join me in war? It's a major question, a major uh, decision that they have to make. This is not a minor decision. Will you commit the resources and the people and the presence, the credibility, the power of your nation with me to route this other people group out? Major crisis of belief. How do I know what to do? What should I do? It, 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 how do I understand the next move, guidance and direction moving forward? So, as we enter this question, I want, as followers of Jesus this morning, I want to be looking from the vantage point of what is real in your life. 
Put yourself in the story as we begin. Ask the question, ask this question, how do I know what's really true? And how should I realize and respond to what's true in my life? See, that's the crisis of belief that we are confronted with here. And for those of you who are not even yet a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're considering, maybe thinking about this from a different vantage point, you have not necessarily committed your life to him. I just wanna say this, I wanna acknowledge this as we begin, that as a follower of Jesus, we have answered this this metaphor physical question, the question of how I know with this answer, God is, therefore I am. God is, therefore I am. Now, this question has been answered by philosophers and others throughout history in different ways. I think, therefore I am. Or, or I feel, this is, a, this is our current uh, philosophy in the West, I feel, therefore I am. I need you to know as we begin that as followers of Jesus, we believe God created and writes all truth. And as such, he is the definer of ultimate reality. See, in the Old Testament with Moses, he, he, he answered the question Moses put to him. Moses said, well, what should I tell the Hebrews your name is? How do you define yourself? And God's response was, I am that I am. And in that moment, he set for us, his people, all through history, no other am, no other option. I am the, I am the, very, the, the very definition of ultimate reality. When you seek truth, you seek it from me because I created it. There's no other room for another am, for another truth. Understand that from the beginning. And then Jesus further expounded on this idea in the gospel when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We believe as followers of Jesus that there is a way that brings truth, which brings ultimate life, which bears ultimate life, and it is Jesus. And so this morning, I want you all, all of us, to approach this topic with that perspective, that that acknowledgement that we believe truth ultimately is defined by God here. So saying, let's begin our story. Second Chronicles 18, I hope that gave you time to get there. I want you to read along with your device or or in the word uh, this morning. We're gonna start in verse three. And remember the question Ahab has just asked. He's just asked, will you go to war with me, Jehoshaphat? And Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are and my people as your people. He's acknowledging we come from the same DNA. We will join you in war. Just circle, we'll join you in war. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Here's our reality check number one, follower of Jesus. Ask first. Ask first. Okay? This is, this is what we do uh, even, even after we've known the Lord. Our tendency as we drift is to, is to really depend on ourself and our own analysis, uh, analysis of the situation and to consider our options as we're seeking direction and to begin moving in a certain direction. And then as we move in that direction, go, oh, yeah, maybe I should ask God. 
Maybe I should consider him. But see, we've already begun a trajectory. We've already started something. We see Jehoshaphat vacillating back and forth, even immediately in the story. He says to Ahab, oh yeah, yeah, we'll go to war with you. Yeah, let's do, oh, uh, maybe we should ask God. See, in our progression, we have to put God in a primary place, a first place in the, in, in the inquiry of our spirit to say, I wanna ask good questions. I wanna put myself in a posture of listening before the Lord, before all else, if you are truly seeking his truth, his guidance, his direction in your life. And, uh, and it's, it's like my kids, because we're, we're God's kids, right? Here's what my kids do. Uh, we, we get home from grocery shopping and, and, and our arms are just full, not our kids, because they always leave us to bring all the groceries in. You know what I'm saying? They just, they leave the van, they rush in. So my wife and I, are, our arms are full. We're carrying way too much all at once because you don't want to make multiple trips. And, um, and we'll come through, uh, up the stairs and through the door. And immediately when I open the door, I look and our kids... It's like four, four in the afternoon. Our kids have gone straight to the snack cabinet and they've unpackaged the hostess cakes and, and the granola bars and they've got the, the Nutella is already out and smeared all over everything. I don't know how they do it with the speed that they do it. I mean, all we did was grab the bags and we're making our way in and I'll stop and I'll look and their, their mouths are full. They're like this, you know? And they look at me and we make eye contact and they're like, can we have a snack? every time and I'm, and I'm immediately confronted with, I have to say this again, ask first. Because when you ask first, the discipline that's gonna follow when you disobey the rules of our family and the principles that we've established for our home doesn't have to happen because you asked first and those snacks are there for you, but they're for after dinner, not before. And I've now said this 4,003 times to my children. God does the same for us. Ask first as you look for his guidance, his direction, his ultimate reality in your life. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said this, ask, it's the first word, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask comes first. Let's move not even away from this section of the story because there's something else lodged in those first two verses. We're gonna read them again. Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are and my people as your people. We will join you in war. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. This is a nuance, but it's important. First seek, underline first seek the counsel of the Lord. Reality check two, Seek with your whole being. And when I say whole being, your heart and your mind. See, Matthew 6, 33, 34, Jesus said this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As much as Jehoshaphat should not have answered first, he should have asked first, he does get it right verbally when he says to Ahab, uh, uh, first seek the counsel of the Lord. And this is what's important here. As we pursue God's way and truth and life, we have to do that in first place before other pursuits. 
before the other things that will clutter in and that will take precedent over our pursuit of him. When you are dedicating your whole being, you're asking verbally, you're seeking with your mind, you're using the cognitive capacity and the mental function, the brilliance that God created inside of you to pursue the truth so that it can, ha- that it can be realized and experienced in your life. And there are methods to that discovery and methods to discerning truth that I wanna talk about for just a second because I think some of us who maybe have just followed Jesus for a couple of months and some of us who have been chasing the Lord for years don't necessarily have a process in place for how it is that you discover and discern his way for you. So here are some methods, traditional historic view as we pursue truth. First is the Holy Spirit. This is personal interaction with the Lord. This is the space that you dedicate first place. You eliminate from your mind and your heart and your life clutter and you take dedicated uh, sacred time with him and you ask him to fill that void with himself with his direction, with a sense of what he wants you to do, with an impression from him, with a vision from him, you're listening. You have put yourself specifically in a place to hear from the Holy Spirit. See, God is infinitely personal with us. It is a personal relationship and as a follower of Jesus, we believe that you can sit with the Holy Spirit and you can hear from him, you can converse with him, you can listen for him, but it does not happen unless he's in first place. Unless the other things are moved to the side so he has space to communicate with us. The next is special revelation. This is his word, the scriptures to us. The, the inspired word of God, the blueprint for life that we can look to for his guidance in his direction. And secondarily, it is the manifest presence of the word of God in the form of his incarnate son, Jesus Christ. It's his word and his son, Jesus. Special revelation to us. You can look there and you can believe and have confidence that he will guide us with his truth. The the third is natural revelation. Natural revelation is different only in this sense that it is the whole world around us. And this is where many of us uh, maybe approach with fear. Maybe we're not sure that we should pursue. This is the opportunity. God invites us in to looking through the eyes and the lens of science, of study, of consideration, to the truth that he has logged in creation, that he has put there for us to pursue. God is not afraid of our inquiry, not in the least. He gave us the ability to inquire and then he called us into uh, being fruitful and multiplying and taking dominion over the earth of actually serving and tending the earth according to his call. We are given natural revelation as a means of understanding truth, of realizing truth. And then the next is one another. This is the community, this is church. We're gonna unpack that a little bit more in just a second. But this, this way of knowing is that you, you are in relationship with other people who have a perspective different than your subjective vantage point on what reality is. So you can have confidence that you can go to another one who is a follower of Jesus and ask them for discernment, direction, and discovery in your life. 
And then last is experiences. This is where we realize truth by actually taking steps that reinforces God's presence and his guidance in your life. John Wesley actually, actually created what's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And this is, a, this is sort of a diagram. I wanna walk through it real quick and we're gonna move on. But you see scripture in the totality of all truth. That again, this is the blueprint for all of life as we pursue the truth that God has has given us. And then you see our reason, our, our ability to think, our logic, our executive function in our brain there at the top in, in blue or whatever color that is, green. And then next to it is tradition. That would be the church. That would be uh, study. That would be peer-reviewed articles. That would be good thought. That, that may be an appeal to authority uh, for those that have gone before and then experience there at the bottom, the way you live truth out. You can unpack this, you can research that more if you're interested. But Wesley came up with that as a picture of our way of pursuing what is real, what is reality. Moving on in our story, verse five, let's read that together. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, this would be Ahab, 400 men, underline that, and ask them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I not? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? You see, Ahab, Ahab's definitely got his perspective already in place, but he's trying to persuade Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat has said, well, ho ho hold on. Let's ask for the counsel of, of, of Yahweh. You know Ahab, if you've if you read his previous story, he doesn't want to ask for the counsel of Ahab, or excuse me, of Yahweh at all. In fact, he's pushed all of the prophets of God out of Israel, killed most of them, and, and, he's, and he's got a few in prison, okay? But Jehoshaphat wants this, so, so uh, well, I've got 400 prophets right here, and, and, and they'll answer that question. They're not prophets of the Lord. They're not prophets of the Lord. Reality, reality check, folks. Filter your friends. Filter your friends, your counselors. Consider who gets that special place of speaking into your life. First Corinthians 15:33 said this: "Do not be deceit. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad friends, folks, will distort reality and disorient your view of good happens to us all the time. It's, it's, it's actually when helping hurts and empathy has the capacity to end you. 400, Ahab's got 400 prophets and they're just whipping everybody into an absolute frenzy. As we continue into the story, no, you're gonna win. I mean, they've got these horns. They pull out this, this object. You With these horns, you will gore the Arameans. I mean, they're, they're, they're turning the place into whipped cream. They're taking, they're taking milk and they're just, it's frothy at this point. None of it's true. It's delusion, it's lie, it's devoid of God's presence. Here's what this looks like, just simply in our own lives. When you go to coffee with a friend, you need advice, you need direction. You're not sure what to do. So you start complaining a little bit. You're just sharing what's going on. You say, my husband sucks. And your friend says, yeah, you deserve to be happy, leave him. Mm. 
don't leave them. Or my job isn't satisfying. You start with my job isn't, I hate my work. Yeah, you, you should ask for a pay raise or quit. I would, I would get other counsel. I would bring other people into that decision. I would consider bringing those with wisdom into your life before you just act on that. In four months when there's no paycheck coming in, let me, let me know what you think of that advice. My kids are really challenging right now and your friend says, yeah, you shouldn't have to put up with that. It's probably the school's fault. Mm. It's not the school's fault. My boss is a butthead. And your friend says, yeah, you should tell him where to stick it. That'll show him. It won't show him. That won't work out. My life is really hard right now. Your friend comes back. Yeah, you should have a drink and forget about it for a little while. Let's party or go shopping. Don't do it. That is the wrong kind of shopping. My parents just don't get me. And your friend says, yeah, maybe you should lie to them to keep the peace. That way nobody gets hurt. I'm telling you, telling you the enemy comes in and tweaks just a little bit. And through the words of your friend, you have just annihilated trust with your parents. You have broken trust. You have created a, a, a devastating reality in the relationship, the bond between you and your parents by listening to that advice. Or how about this one? My finances are tight, so I better not go shopping. Your friend, just put it on your card. Come on, don't miss out. Don't do it. Or are you gonna be chopping that card up with scissors in a year or sooner? Proverbs 24, five and six says this, a wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might for by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. I wish Ahab and Jehoshaphat had considered that because, because there are two things I see in that passage, wisdom and abundance. And you want both of them when you are pursuing God's reality for your life. You need wise friends, be sure that there is wisdom, be sure that there is the presence of the Lord and pursue that relationship because it will be good. And you also need an abundance. See, sometimes we have too few wise friends and we don't consider their counsel at all. And that's a problem. You need an abundance of wisdom through multiple friends that will, take, that will give you a direction and offer you thoughts towards your future and the truth. And in this case, we see Ahab very clearly had an abundance of counselors, but no wisdom whatsoever present. We're moving on in the story. Seven, verse seven, the king of Israel answered Joseph, there's still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Machai, son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat, our, our vacillating, unsure king, well, the, the king shouldn't say such a thing. That's not nice. 
So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, bring Machai, son of Imlah, at once. So dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them, those 400. Now Zedekiah, son of Kenanai, had made iron horns and he declared, this is what the Lord says, with these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. And all the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. And the messenger who had gone to summon Machai said to him, look, the other prophets without exception are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. Ooh, the pressure's on, baby. Reality check, reality check. Avoid confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is choosing to see things that we already know or already agree with rather than staying open to seeing new things that may require us to change. Philosopher, Will Rogers said it this way, it's not what you know that will get you, it's what you know that ain't really so. We all, we all possess biases. It's foolhardy to even pretend that is not true. We approach ultimate reality from our perception of reality. We approach reality from the experiences that we know. We approach God, we approach our pursuit of truth from what it is that we already think is true. Biases are normal and natural, but we must be aware of those biases if we are going to continue in our pursuit of truth. Otherwise, we're asking a question Question that we have already presupposed an answer to. And if we've presupposed an answer to something, then God cannot speak what is true to us because we think we already know what's true. Avoid confirmation bias. Guys, we see confirmation bias, interestingly enough, is, what it, is one of the things that is tearing apart our political environment. It is crazy to me to watch on social media or any media, really, two different people looking at the same thing, the same information, the same data set and interpreting it how they want to see it, how they have already believed it to be. That's confirmation bias. Again, God is not afraid of our inquiry. He is not afraid of our pursuit. I wanna encourage you today as followers of Jesus to move into the full pursuit of truth with an open mind and an open heart. It's where God moves, it's where his spirit does amazing things. Proverbs says this, and I think it's a verse that's been hijacked because it's everybody's favorite verse today's world. And because it's everybody's favorite verse, we miss what it's actually saying to us. Listen to this passage, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean 
on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Be aware of your subjectivity. Be aware of your presuppositions. Be aware of your predisposition as you move in the pursuit of truth and put yourself in a posture of humility, of listening, of hearing as you seek. The story goes on, verse 13, but Machai said, now remember, Machai has been summoned. What we don't know from this particular passage, you actually have to go back to Kings. Machai has been summoned from prison where Ahab had put him. He comes into the royal, opulent, luxurious space, summoned into this area. There are the two kings. There are the 400 prophets whipping everybody into a frenzy. He comes into it in his prison rags. He comes into it with scar or uh, with bruises on him from the shackles of prison. And he's just been told, you know what to say. Make sure you say what you've been asked to say. But Machai says to the messenger, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. When he arrived, the king asked him, Machai, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I not? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for they will be given into your hand. And the king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? See, we gotta dig a little deeper to understand Machai's first statement comes out of sheer sarcasm. He walks into this space and he's angry. He sees the deceit palpable everywhere. He recognizes what's happening. You're all colluding. You're all drinking the purple Kool-Aid. He says, sure, go to war. You'll be victorious. Have at it. And Ahab knows, sees, senses, can't miss the sardonic response. Then Micah said, or answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? If you're thinking this dude's having a tantrum, you are correct. He's throwing a fit, the fit of a two-year-old. I don't like it. Makes me feel bad. Here's reality check. Hear and heed. Hear and heed the truth as God sees it. To realize means to grasp reality. To, to realize means to see what's really real. To understand it clearly, realizing is actually when you've recognized something and now you're beginning to get traction. This is an aha moment. It's, it's when you say, oh, it, it dawned on me. And then our experience is when we begin to move forward. We're now heeding what we have heard. We're now saying, yes, God, your way. I, I, I'm a little frightened because I can't see the next step. My way, I had, all, I had it all set out step by step. Your way, I'm not sure, but I do. I, I, you're speaking and I'm listening, God. I'm, I'm gonna move in that direction I wanna share a story from 
uh, Dr. Everett Piper, who is the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. In one of his blogs, he tells this story and it illustrates reality check. Hear and heed the truth as God sees it. He said, this past week, I actually had a student come forward after a university chapel service and complain because he felt victimized by a sermon on the topic of 1 Corinthians 13. It appears this young scholar felt offended because a homily on love made him feel bad for not showing love. In his mind, the speaker was wrong for making him and his peers feel uncomfortable. I'm not making this up. Our culture has actually taught our kids to be this self-absorbed and narcissistic. Anytime their feelings are hurt, they are the victims. Anyone who dares challenge them and thus makes them feel bad about themselves is a hater, a bigot, an oppressor, and a victimizer. Everett Piper says, I have a message for this young man and all others who care to listen. And I'm gonna stop right there and I wanna say this, not just for this generation, but for the generation who raised this generation. This generation is imbibing and repeating what they have heard from the generation who has gone before. So this is for every single one of us. Piper says this, that feeling of discomfort you have after listening to a sermon is called a conscience. And an altar call is supposed to make you feel bad. It is supposed to make you feel guilty. The goal of many a good sermon is to get you to confess your sins, not coddle you in your selfishness. The primary objective of the church and the Christian faith is your confession, not your self-actualization. That is powerful. Folks. See, when we pursue our self-actualization, we are saying no to Christ's actualization in us. See, the difference between selfishness and love, interestingly enough, in Corinthians, is that we say, I'm laying down myself, I'm giving up me, and I am taking Christ into me, that his way would be my way. I want to actualize Jesus Christ in my life. And sometimes that doesn't feel good. One of the most significant things that was told to me in a preaching class was it is your job to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And some of us who have been following Jesus for years, year after year after year, we've gotten to a point of complacency. We've gotten to a point of apathy. We've hit this, this wall and we just kind of think we've got it all made. May it never be so. May our continuation of the pursuit of Jesus Never stop. We are being formed and shaped in our character towards the Lord until the very end when we meet him, when it says in the twinkling of an eye, we're swallowed up by the imperishable. I want Christ's actualization in us. Hear and heed the truth. Now here's what happens between the end of that path. So we're gonna jump, we're actually gonna skip to verse 25 because there's a section that we don't have time to read. But what happens in that section is that Machai goes on to explain to Jehoshaphat and to, and to Ahab what's actually happening with these 400 prophets that are obsessed and possessed of a deceiving spirit that is causing them to perpetuate deceit after deceit. And he's, he shares with them what's actually taking place. He, he pulls 
pulls back the veil so that they can see into the spiritual world and he declares what is true to them. And then in, and starting in verse 25, the king of Israel then ordered, take Machai and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. You can underline that. Because, oh, the foolishness. And Mekhi declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. And then he said, mark my words, all you people. Man. I think Mekhi was a pretty tough cookie. See, the enemy, Satan, will use every ploy to discredit or distort God's instruction and direction in our life in order to bring about the goal of our demise and eventual spiritual death. We must be aware and wary of the battleground of our belief about what is true and even more attentive to our response to what is true. And the enemy of self, self-absorption in our own willfulness can also master us and bring us to our knees just as an external spirit from our stubborn, unrepentant and defiant hearts. Our stubbornness, our defiance, so evident in Ahab and even a subversive stubbornness in Jehoshaphat who does not object to Machai being sent back to prison who also hears the truth and still decides to go to war. Here's some examples and they're personal. They're right from my heart. I do them. When my defiance leads to deceit, when I know my wife's right, but I don't wanna be wrong. Wives, do not elbow your husbands, please. When I begin wondering if my friend recognizes a blind spot, but that would mean I'm not perfect, so I shy away. When my accountability partner is sensing a weakness in me, but that would mean I'm not strong. I wanna be strong. I wanna be strong, so let's not sense a weakness. Maybe there's another accountability partner that'll actually tell me something different. When my leader at work recognizes a lackluster attitude, but that would mean I wasn't passionate. And above all else, I wanna be passionate. So, so I move in discomfort away from that possibility. It's interesting to me in the story that Machai's name actually means who is like the Lord. Who is like the Lord. See, the presence of God right here in the thick of this, delivering the word of God. Truth for Ahab, reality check. Truth for us, reality check. Defiance leads to deceit, which leads to defeat. I wanna move forward the story, here's the conclusion of the story. Without reading it, you can read on, read, read the next page. It's 434. 
Ahab and Jehoshaphat, they send Machai back to prison. They go to war. Ahab has the good sense to try to disguise himself. He takes off the, the evidence of his kingship, but he goes to war anyway. He thinks that this will protect him from whatever prophecy came from Machai. He goes into battle. He's in the battle. He gets frightened. He moves away from the battle. And the text tells us a random arrow hit him between his breastplate and the other portion of his armor. And that arrow lands right in the chink of his armor and it takes his life. Surprise, surprise. It's the end, the demise of Ahab. Israel loses, Jehoshaphat runs. Reality check, God's truth is real. Here's where I wanna end. Jesse, you can come on up now. Jesse's gonna take us through over all I know again. Reality check for us is that God's truth is real truth. Second Timothy says this, uh, in uh, chapter four, one through four, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the, the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Re reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This, this word sober-minded means collected, means calm, means in the peace of God, you trust in God as you pursue his direction in your life. It, it, it has this idea of being circumspect, being thinkers, being truth seekers. God wants truth seekers. God wants true listeners. God wants followers who are attentive to his voice, who are looking for the aha moment so they can take the next step in pursuit of him. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is a way that brings truth that creates ultimate life. It is a pursuit of God's ultimate reality. As you go ahead and stand. God, as we, as we close now, as we end this opportunity to hear from you, I just ask that leaving today, there will be parts of ourselves that we've actually opened up to hearing you maybe for the first time. God, that we would be longing, seeking, desiring to hear from you. That we would know in that personal interaction with your Holy Spirit, we can know truth and we can be set free and the bondage can be broken and the pathway can be open and hope for a future can be different because we can be changed by the presence of your truth in our life. 
so God, now as we sing, I just ask for you to bathe us in your presence, in your glory, in your truth today. I pray these things in Jesus' name.